This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. afternoon fellow investors and welcome to invest talk this is our thursday october 8th 2020 edition of invest talk i appreciate you all tuning in today and i'm excited to bring you some information some perspective and to answer as many of your questions as we possibly can and now that we are in the fourth quarter just about what 25 days away from election day earnings are going to start trickling in uh next week And we know we're still in the midst of somewhat of a a wild ride when it comes to the economy and the markets. Uh, Clearly, there's a lot of support from central banks, but more importantly, there is likely to be continuing support for, from, excuse me, from governments in, on the fiscal side, which really hasn't been explored for a while. That's why all these central banks are urging them to spend money. And that's why you saw a big sell-off yesterday on the back of, sorry, the day before yesterday, excuse me, on the back of Trump tweeting that there was not going to be a stimulus. He was calling it all off until after the election. The market didn't like that. Well, you know what Trump doesn't like more than anything? Seeing the stock market sell off. And so what did he do? He called his Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and, and others on the street, uh, on Wall Street, not Wall Street, <laughs> in Washington to get back to the table and pushing one-off deals. But it doesn't look like the Democrats are playing ball. Right? Pelosi says we want a larger deal, not these one-off deals. And that's why I think the market, after the last couple of days, is a little too optimistic that this deal could go through. Now, I could be wrong. I absolutely could be wrong, but I don't see a lot of incentive for incentives for the Democrats to give in, right? And pass a package that doesn't reflect their ideals and what they want to spend money on, right? They have 25 days to election. They can wait. They don't want to give Trump a bone unless they're getting a bone as well. Right, So it looks like there's still a lot of infighting, and I think the market's a little too uh, optimistic that there will be a deal, at least in the near term. In the long term, this is what's going to have to happen. Our economy is now reliant on government to spend and stimulate to kind of keep things together and create dollars that are monetized by the Fed. So that's where we are. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and today in this program and podcast, I will do my best to provide unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions and help you with strategies to help you deal with volatility. So I am here and ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Once again, good day in the market. S&P up about 27 points. But what was interesting is you see a continued rotation into value stocks over growth. The, the FANG names were relatively weak, uh, and you said oil actually uh, doing pretty well today. Uh, so the value side of the market looks to be picking up. Now, now that I've set things up for today, I want to get straight into our callers, and we're going to go to a live one. Here's Kevin in Virginia. He wants to talk about ETFs. Hey, thanks for taking the call. I uh, love your show, and I listen on the podcast. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Hey, uh, 
I, I hate to ask a question about energy after you set it up with oil today, but uh, my clean energy stocks, ENPH, Sedge, some, Sunrun, some of those guys are just exploding right now and have been over the last month. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's mm-hmm. an ETF, ICLN. Uh, I okay. was fortunate enough to get in early, and it's just mm-hmm. popped, and I'd love to add more, but I'm worried it might be I missed the boat in adding more, and it's at an all-time high. Would you recommend adding more or sit on the sidelines for a while and let things shake out? Uh, yeah, I was, explosion? yeah I, I would sit on it for a little while. Uh, you know, it's it's been rallying on the – with the increased chances that Biden wins, right? Because Biden will push more of a green energy agenda than than Trump will. Now, how much of that will go, you know, go into the industry? Certainly more than today, but how much of that is already now priced in? And when I look at this particular name, ICLN, ICLN you look at the volume over the last three days, and it's record volume over the last three days. Pretty big sell-off uh, from the highs today as well. Pretty big reversal. So to me, this signals exhaustion, exhaustion in the space. Now, that doesn't mean that it can't chop around here, right? It's at 21 today. It could easily stay between 17 and 22 for a while and chop around and work off this overbought condition. Uh, but I think you're likely to get some sort of a pullback here. Uh, and if if you want to add to it, that's when you would, to me, add it somewhere around the 16 level. That would be a, a solid support. But it does look a little exhausted. The kind, it's kind of the entire space does. If you look at individual names as well as these particular uh, ETFs, uh, Tan is another one that was down 18 cents today. Very similar chart with a record high volume today. So uh, I think you hit upside capitulation on these uh, clean energy ETFs. Thanks for the call, Kevin. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Summer is over and we're getting ready for fall like weather. And for investors, the need to remain vigilant never ends. You always have to be learning. And you always have to battle the uncertainty that makes investors, well, anxious, emotional. And we all must learn to manage our fear and greed. So let's talk about whatever is on your mind. Your participation is as important as ever. And we appreciate your calls. We would love your calls at 888-99-CHART. It's an Invest Talk Thursday. Justin Klein is on duty and he's happy to provide unbiased answers, but you've got to call with your questions. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. Hi, Steve Justin. This is Jason from Illinois. Uh, I love the show. I listen to it daily. Uh, my question today is for Novavax, ticker NVAX. I've been looking at all the media, all the reports. Um, there's not a lot of talk about it, but there is a lot of news conferences. It looks really promising, in my opinion. I would just like to get your opinion on if it is a good investment and it looks like it's going to do well in the future. I appreciate it, and I look forward to your comments. Thank you. This is Novavax. It's a biotech company that develops vaccines. So it works on clinical stage uh, stages of development with a focus on delivering novel products. So for example, a coronavirus vaccine. And this is a company that for years has lost money. For years has lost money. However, 
analysts are now expecting them to make $22 a share next year. So that's why this has exploded from a low before COVID of four bucks. Right? 52 week low is $3.54. And now we're at 111. So certainly a lot of the optimism is priced in. But if they do make $22 a share next year, the stock's still pretty cheap. The question is, what do they have that's actually, or do they have a vaccine for COVID? Uh, they make vaccines for influenza, which I'm sure more people are going to get. Uh, so my worry here is that it's a, it's a biotech stock that historically has had a very poor track record of making money. Now, technically it has pulled back. It's, it's kind of neutral right now. Hit a high of about 180 and change, and now we're at 111, so it's certainly pulled back, but it's chopping right at that 100-day moving average, and it's hit it a few times, and the more times that you hit on a particular moving average, the better chance it has to go through it. So to me, this chart looks neutral to bearish in my mind, uh, and so I think you're uh, overvalued. I think that optimism around that $22 a share is probably a little too high. Uh, even though revenues are starting to increase like they haven't before, uh, it's just not something that I would bet my money on because of the track record of the business. The track record of the business is they continue to burn capital. They continue to lose money. They have negative, in negative net income, negative cash flow every year for the last decade. And so... You know, and it had a rally similar to this back in 2015. It was trading around $200 a share. And what do they do? Well, they just tend to issue more and more shares. And that's what they've been doing. They had 5 million shares outstanding in 2010. Today, they have 39 million shares. So about eight-fold increase in the number of shares, which means dilution for you. That's how they finance their business. So I'm not chasing it at these levels, especially with the chart looking ready to break below that 100-day moving average. Now, my focus point today concerns a story. Amid a pandemic, three things you should know about telemedicine, which certainly is a big trend. More and more insurance companies are reimbursing for telemedicine. So we're going to touch on that and discuss the space. In addition... Dividends. Dividends are likely to change for the coming probably decade or so after this crisis. The way that companies pay dividends, how they pay dividends will probably be very different than the last decade where it was easy to simply borrow money, hike the dividend, buy back shares, etc. They may be a little more wary about that. So we're going to discuss what that likely means for dividend-paying stocks in general. And then the digital surge of finance. It's reshaping the way we're making payments. And what does that mean for the space as well, post-pandemic? And then lastly, why is the housing market remain strong, both nationally and relatively globally? At least the, the housing market, not the commercial market, but the housing market. So those things that are on my mind. But ultimately, I want to hear what's on your mind. And that is coming. Uh, let's go straight back to our Invest Talk Voice Bank at 888.99 chart. Hello, Stephen Justin. This is Ogie from New Jersey. I had a question regarding corporate debt. As you typically say on the show, and as an investor, we are seeking companies with ideally low debt, or at least low debt compared to their um, market cap. 
However, I was wondering if in the current low interest environment, corporate debt might be actually good, right? So the companies could borrow at low yields and use that to expand. So I was just wondering, analyzing companies in the current low interest environment, is that really that bad? Thank you. Well, what you are thinking about is what every CFO and CEO in corporate America is thinking, has been thinking for the past decade. That interest rates are low, borrowing rates are low, I'm going to borrow money. I'm going to leverage up my balance sheet, either to buy back shares, maybe pay dividends, uh, or, or grow the business. More and more, it's just been buying back shares, and they uh, issue their C-suite uh, expensive compensation packages using shares, and that's how they're making you know millions and tens of millions of dollars in the compensation compensation package packages and they're using the excuse that borrowing is cheap the problem with that logic is that in a recession if your business is cyclical and prone to large downturns which frankly most are cyclical some are more more cyclical than others some are less but in general, most companies are fairly cyclical. And in a downturn, it doesn't matter how cheap the debt is because you still have to pay the debt. You have to pay the interest. You have to sometimes pay for maturities, especially if the corporate bond market is not as loose as it's been recently meaning it's harder to borrow and roll the debt. And so if your earnings go from going being very good to, say, negative, it doesn't matter how cheap that debt is. I don't care if you're paying 3% or 5%. If you don't have the money to pay it, then it becomes a problem. And that's why you've seen these companies with excessive debt levels. Think of Boeing. Boeing's a great example. Right? They bought a bunch of shares back. They've been struggling. They've been asking for bailouts from the government in order to stay afloat because their balance sheet is strained. Because their business is strained dramatically. They're losing money. And so what you're thinking about is what all CFOs, CEOs are talk are thinking, have been thinking for a decade, but it's put a lot of them in a bad place in this environment. This is Invest Talk. I'm ready to take your calls live at 888 chart You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99Chart. My focus point today concerns the story amid a pandemic. Three things you should know about telemedicine. And what's interesting about this space is that the insurers, the health insurers, are starting to come around on the idea of telemedicine. Beginning at the beginning of this month, many major insurance companies, including Anthem and United Health, started to no longer waive sharing of costs for telemedicine. Now, mostly this applies to non-COVID-related visits, 
and to people not receiving Medicare. But the pandemic has led to a policy, many policy changes that have eliminated HIPAA barriers, for example, and increased the adoption of telemedicine and telehealth. So this is a positive for the space long-term. And certainly I think this is an opportunity. It's one of my favorite opportunities in the growth side of the market. Now everyone's going to say, oh, just buy Teladoc. Well, just because Teladoc is the, I guess, brand name in the space doesn't mean it's going to be the long-term winner. Might have the best name, but does it have the best technology, the best platform? Not necessarily. So even after this pandemic passes, tele virtual health visits will be popular and maintain some important advantages. One thing, you don't have to waste personal protective equipment, there's no travel time, and you can easily keep social distance. Now one, telehealth will work for many visits, but not all. So it's great for follow-up appointments, post-surgery, primary care, pre-screenings, things like that. Things that you can talk about that you don't necessarily, the doctor doesn't need to actually touch. My girlfriend actually is a dermatologist, so I've talked to her many times about this. And a lot of people want her to do telehealth, and she's a derm. So it's hard for her because she wants to see the skin. She wants to get her eyes on it in a very clear way. She wants to be able to touch it. She, for example, can use a scalpel, cut through skin, and know whether it's cancerous or not just by the way a scalpel moves through it. And that's something you can't replicate in telehealth setting. So it's good for mental health, physical therapy, things you can talk over, but you don't necessarily need to be in person with. So that means not all are suitable for it, but it's going to become increasingly used by, I think, many people, especially the elderly who maybe have trouble getting to appointments. And, you know, they the biggest hurdle will be technology and who will have the easiest platform. Number two, costs have changed. So Cigna, like I've said, Anthem, United Health, they all removed the fees uh, through the end of this year. And, but the, the, the difference is coverage will differ. So not all telehealth conferences will be covered. It just depends on your health insurance. So you definitely need to check your deductible, uh, your copay, etc. And number three, video appointments takes, uh, take preparation. Most people, I know I FaceTime people <clears throat> a lot and, excuse me. FaceTime people a lot. <clears throat> Someone caught in my throat. There we go. So I FaceTime people a lot. And it's very informal. But remember, you're still talking to a doctor. And that time is valuable. So you need to write down all of your questions and make sure you make the most of that. And in a setting that, you know, you don't want to do it in a Starbucks, for example. You want to be somewhere private where... Uh, they're asking you sensitive questions. You don't want to give away too much, especially about your health. So telemedicine is here to stay. And I think there are a lot of good investment opportunities, but you have to do your homework and we are following the space. And guess what? Teladoc is not our favorite. 
Now, as you've likely noticed, we get Invest Talk caller questions from all over the U.S. Here comes a question from a listener in Boston. Hey, Steve. This is Patel from Boston. I was calling regarding the stock Walmart. They recently announced the new design for the store, so I was just thinking about investing some money in it. So just let me know. Thank you. All right, he's looking at Walmart, and his reason is they're investing money into the store. And that would not be my reason to be buying Walmart. Uh, I don't think it's a bad idea. Certainly, if you think every retailer should invest in their stores, make the experience better for the shopper, etc., and there's good ROI in that. However, to me, it's Walmart's investment in the digital space that is something that makes this more investable. Now, it's at $141 a share, $400 billion market cap, yields 1.5%. Our value on this is closer to the 110 level, it's at 141. So, But long-term, you do well. You'll do fine. It's Walmart. It's not going anywhere. I think they have the best chance, along with Target, to compete with Amazon. So I really like Walmart long-term, but this isn't the best entry point from that long-term perspective. But the chart still looks relatively positive. Now, on the next Invest Talk, one hedge fund manager says, don't miss out on a generational opportunity in the market. His theory forecasts that most cyclical sectors will grow earnings at a faster pace than the S&P 500. Could he be right? That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. And I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about, in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive, and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans. Like for a new ride, or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? 
With Chime Secured Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. You are listening to Invest Talk. It's Thursday, and there's no doubt that the COVID-19 pandemic has caused financial disruptions around the world. But you've got an asset portfolio to protect and grow. So you've got finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is here, and he's taking your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin and Steve. Hey, I have a quick question for you guys. I was wondering, how long do you hold a stock if it's just in a range, like a $10 range, higher or lower, but it stays in that range for, you know, six months or a year or so? How long do you hold a stock, basically, when it's going nowhere outside of that range and you're not really getting any gain on it and it doesn't pay much of a capital gain at all or a dividend at all? Is there a certain amount of time when you should just dump it and move on to something else, like after six months or after a year or so forth? Just wondering. Thanks. Look forward to hearing your answer on the show. Have a good day. It's a great question, and there's certainly a lot of stocks like that. And stocks trading in a range aren't isn't necessarily a bad thing. The question is, is it a bullish consolidation? Because that's really what a range is. When a stock trades at a particular on a particular range, it's consolidating. Now it could be consolidating an up move, meaning its previous move before that 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 range was higher, or it could be consolidating lower, where it moved lower and then it sat in a range for a while. And so that's certainly a consideration. And then the underlying business dynamics, are they improving? Is your thesis for owning it still solid? Or is it improving? Because going sideways in a range for a while isn't necessarily a bad thing. Can be just gaining energy to move much, much higher. So to me, it has far more to do with the underlying business and macro environment than, oh, this hard and fast rule, I want to hold, I'm only going to hold this for six months. It's really about your thesis on the business and whether that is intact and hopefully improving. Let's go to James in Sonoma looking at TDS, which is Telephone and Data Systems. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it? Well, I was looking to buy it. I already have Ryzen and AT&T in a mutual fund. But I was looking at this one. It took a jump in August, uh, mm-hmm. and then it sort of got up 24, and then it's sort of gone down, gone down, gone down. And what interests me today is the fact it's starting to turn up again. I'd like to ride that roller coaster back up. Pays a nice dividend. They've got money to pay the dividend. doesn't go up a lot, like 2 or 3% every every year, but it's one of these things I'm trying to look to ride the telephone, the uh, telecom wave here with this 5G business. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, most of its business goes through U.S. Cellular, right? That's their, that's their main business. They have some uh, broadband services and some uh, fixed-line telephone as well, serving about a million customers. But overall, the most of their business is from that, that wireless division of U.S. Cellular. Now, it does yield about 3.6%. Their business is 
basically flat, right? This is a no growth business. Revenues, the last three quarters, year on year, 100% flat, just zero. <laughs> so earnings last quarter, however, were up 100%, which is, is nice. Uh, but a few quarters before that, they were negative. So just kind of a rebound. This year, you're supposed to make $1.28 after making $1.03 next year. Only supposed to make $0.92 cents a share next year, however. Uh, let me look at some long-term profitability. If you look at its payout ratio, it looks like it can afford it for, for now. Uh, let me look at its debt levels. $2 billion market cap, decent amount of debt, but nothing crazy for their type of business, which tends to be relatively consistent. The cash flow is positive, but you know, not, not in any dramatic way, not super exciting. Um, you know, it's a small cap value play, and I do like the chart. It has pulled back, like you said, it exploded higher in August, gave all that back rather quickly throughout the back half of August and into September, and now it's starting to gain a little strength. So technically, I kind of like it, um, but the business-wise, I just don't love it. You know, their return on equity has been in the single digits for the last decade, which is not exciting for me. Um, you know, I just don't love the business. I like the chart, but I don't love the business, so I'm going to pass on it. Thanks for the call, James. 888.99 chart, 888.992, 4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. We have about, let's see, 18 minutes left. Let's talk about dividend stocks, and in tough economic times like we're in right now, dividend policies can change dramatically. Now, one reason for that is government loans that were helping companies stay afloat and keep people employed have caused limits on dividends some businesses can pay out. So that's a big factor. Also, you should expect lower payouts overall. More than half of the companies in the global dividend index canceled their dividends in the second quarter of this year, and 25% of them lowered the payouts. Only 25% kept them intact. So overall, dividend payouts for this year are expected to drop about 19%, which is the worst year for dividends since the financial crisis. And the dividend aristocrat index, which rebalances the start of each year, they're going to have to make some big, big changes because many of the companies that had consistently paid dividends and always raised their dividends either didn't or cut their dividend. And the S&P Dividend Aristocrat Index is actually down 4.6% this year versus about a 4% rise on the S&P. So you have to be very selective. You have to be selective because many companies who were paying dividends were financing those dividends, like I said earlier, with debt. And just because you maintain the dividend doesn't necessarily mean that the company is that strong. Companies that borrow to maintain their dividend during this recent downturn have just added more debt on their balance sheet. And financing your dividend doesn't matter until it does. And you've seen that recently. It's why a lot of these companies had to cut their dividend because either the bond market was closed, they couldn't borrow more, or they just felt they had a too levered of a balance sheet that they needed to suspend or cut their dividend to try to rebuild their balance sheet. So companies that add on debt in this downturn 
can come out the other side in a weaker position with a more strained balance sheet and may be forced to cut dividends down the line. So financing a dividend is a big red flag and you need to make sure that the companies that you're investing in are not taking on too much debt, don't have too levered of a balance sheet. And then how many took money from the PPP or the Main Street Lending Program and a lot of them are not going to be able to raise their dividends. And then lastly, don't chase yields. I talk about this all the time, but for some reason, people still don't listen. And many people continue to chase yields. And you can see that in certain industries, that can be the death knell, right? Travel and leisure recently, for example. Think of Boeing going back to that. You've seen that firsthand. So you have to consider the sustainability of the dividend, not just the total dividend yield. How consistent, how cyclical is the business? How strong is the balance sheet? Those are the most important factors, not the overall dividend yield today, because that may change in the future if the business and balance sheet don't hold up. Let's keep the pace moving. Here comes a caller question from Los Angeles that came in earlier on 888.99 chart. Hi, Justin. I'm calling from Los Angeles. I would like to know what is your opinion on RG. I love your show. Thank you. Bye. This is Sturm Ruger and Company, about a billion one market cap. Yields about 1.2%. And we actually recently picked this up for some managed accounts. And the reason is, is because, you know, like I've said before, we're in the fourth turning. What does the fourth turning bring? Typically brings more social unrest. And you're going into an election where both sides are not going to like the results. They're not going to accept the results, no matter who wins. The others will have certain parts of their constituency take to the street. I think there will be violence. I don't want there to be violence. Once again, I've said this before. It's not about your political view. The market doesn't care about your political view. It's about what will happen, not what you hope happens. I hope there's no violence. Do I think there's going to be no violence? No, I think there is going to be violence. And unfortunately. And so what that means is higher demand for guns. And that's what Sturmruger makes. Pistols, revolvers, rifles, etc. And you just go back to the the Obama administration. There were many on the right that thought Obama was going to take away the guns. And there's still going to be, Biden wins, there's going to be people on the right that think Biden's going to take away their guns. Well, what do they do when they think government's going to take away their guns? They go buy more guns. And that's just the, the nature of it, right? Since 2016, 2016, they made $4.59. 2019, they made $1.82. Why? Right? Pro- profits were going down. Why? Well, if people on the right, they, they feel Trump isn't going to take away their guns. That's going to change if Biden gets elected. So uh, Sturmruger is the best performing long-term from a cash flow, profitability perspective, best managed, pay a solid dividend. Uh, it's back into support. It rallied all the way to 90. Now we're back down around 60, 65. And we've been buying it for clients over the past uh, month or so in this 60 to 65 range. And so we like it. It's Sturm, Sturm Ruger, RGR. 
I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk, and you are not alone. And as you might assume, the greatest number of our listeners are here in the United States, but there are many around the world. Canada, UK, even Germany, Singapore, China, Japan, Argentina. Argentina alone has 1,500 downloads since April. So the desire for financial freedom is universal. It's for everybody in every country. So Steve and I thank you for downloading Invest Talk and also telling your friends and family members about our free investing and finance podcasts. You can call with your questions or send me an email. You can head over to investtalk.com and check out, uh, click on the contact Steve or contact Justin button and those messages will go straight to us. And of course, you're always welcome to call our KPP financial offices in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. We want to help you. We'd love to help you. But for now, our phone lines are open. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Good news. Steve and Justin have recorded another Rapid Fire Hour podcast. They take caller questions at a faster pace, but you still get their unbiased answers. In this special bonus show podcast, you'll hear responses to 34 finance and investment questions. The theme of the program concerns market processes, best practices for investors, and explanations of various terms and investment opportunities. So tell your friends, search Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, or investtalk.com for the free August Rapid Fire Hour. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. Hey guys, my name's uh, Chris from New Jersey. I've been listening to your guys' podcast over the last month pretty consistently, and I figured I'd finally call in and uh, ask about a stock. It's Corsair Gaming, C-R-S-R. They make computer hardware. Uh, they've been around for, I don't know, maybe 20-plus years. Uh, they're pretty popular with uh, people building custom PCs, and I think they had their IPO maybe a week ago. So I was wondering uh, if you guys could review that that uh, stock. It's CRSR. I look forward to hearing from you guys. Thanks. All right, looking at Corsair Gaming. CRSR is the symbol, and he is right. It is a recent IPO, late last month it IPO'd around $14 a share now we're at 18 it's it hit a high of about 22 and change last week but it looks recently like it is struggling and what they do is they make gaming accessories keyboards cases headsets power supplies gaming computers gaming chairs etc and obviously gaming is in high demand it's very popular right now but like he said, this is while well, a company I recently, it's been around for a long, long time, and going back, it has a kind of a up and down history of making money. 2009 and 10, it lost money. 2011 made a dollar 13. This year, it's only supposed to make. Well, last year actually made only 30 cents a share. And let's see, they've free cash flow 100 million, trailing 12 months. Its market cap is 1.6 billion. So the Free cash flow yield is not that bad. Let me look at its long-term profitability. Turn equity, trailing 12 months is 13. That's pretty good. 
you know, recent IPOs in this market tend to be overvalued. So that's something to consider. Uh, I like that free cash flow yield. But what I don't love is their business. It's very highly competitive. You're making products that a lot of other companies make. And to me, they're kind of capitalizing on a hot IPO market, capitalizing on a hot gaming space to get an expensive valuation. So to me, if they're making 30 cents a share last year, $18 a share today, that's a it's a pretty high PE. So I'm passing on this. I would rather uh, buy this somewhere in the high single digits. I think that's fair value for Corsair Gaming. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here. That's helped you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart Every bit of advice you are willing to share, I very much appreciate. Invest Talk is here to help. I really enjoy this show. And we thank you for listening. I'm sorry that I can't hear it every day. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck. Because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve or Justin. I wanted to get your take on Well Tower Incorporated. It's a healthcare REIT, symbol W-E-L-L. It looks like it's had a rough year from a price standpoint, like most REITs. I'm considering it for a long-term hold, trying to determine if it is on sale or if it might be a value trap at this point. just wanted to get your take on Well Tower and on healthcare REITs at this point in time in general. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is Well Tower. They are a healthcare REIT in the senior housing facilities as well as other types of healthcare facilities. And revenue is down 10% year over year, earnings down 18%. A lot of that had to do with COVID, uh, less move-ins, right? If you're in the middle of a pandemic, do you want to move your parents into a nursing home when they're potentially a big spread of COVID? I, I don't think so. I think that's a big uh, reason, certainly some, some uh, financial reasons as well. Uh, but overall, they've held up decently from a business standpoint, I think. And if, if you're looking at uh, cash flow from operations, so I like that. Uh, it is still actually a little expensive, to be honest with you, uh, but not that expensive. Um, so I like it longer term. I like the uh, I like the profitability. I like the space. Uh, it's decent value at these levels. I know it seems like it could be super cheap, but I think it's just a. a Decently cheap, not not very cheap. So, um, you know, if you're looking at from a long-term perspective, get that 5% yield, 4.3% yield. Uh, I kind of like it. I like the space. So uh, I'm going to give a thumbs up on Well Tower, W-E-L-L. Next, let's go to the housing market. Why, are, why is the housing market continuing to pump higher in the midst of a pandemic, uh, economic problems, not just here in the United States, but around the world. Now, back in the financial crisis, real housing prices fell about 10%, wiping out trillions of dollars in value throughout the world. 
Now, high, the, in contrast, high housing prices, excuse me, in the rich world rose 5% annually last month. Shares for developers, property traders, they're doing much, much better as well at new highs for the year. And it's not just here in the United States. Like I said, Germany, prices are up 11% year over year. Areas like South Korea, parts of China, they're doing all pretty well. And there's three factors to explain this. One is monetary, two is fiscal, and third are buyer preferences. Now the average mortgage rate hit about two and three quarters, now we're at about 3%. That's down from 3.7% beginning of the year. That's about a 20% drop in the borrowing rate. And we know that there's a strong link to falling interest rates and higher home prices. Not only that, but if you're a landlord, you're an investor in real estate, you're willing to pay a little bit more because yields and other assets have dropped, like treasuries and corporate bonds. Now, some things are a headwind to prices. One is obtaining a mortgage has become harder. About 60% of loan officers at banks in the United States are tightening lending standards. But overall, borrowing is cheap if you can get borrowing. Number two, fiscal policy. And this is probably the biggest. In a normal recession, people lose jobs, incomes fall, foreclosures drag down prices because it increases inventory. Well, not only have forbearance programs pushed off inventory increasing, but also the amount of money going into pockets has increased. In fact, handouts through wage subsidies furlough programs, other welfare benefits amount to 5% of the GDP this year. In the second quarter of this year, household disposal income in the G7 were actually up about $100 billion than they were before the crisis. And that's all because of government handouts. So that's a big reason. And then certainly the demand for bigger homes as well buyer preference and pushing people to really make those transactions because if you're going to work from home, you want more space and a little nicer home. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I'll return on Monday. In the meantime, please remember to tell your friends and family members they can choose from over 100 archived Invest Talk podcasts for free over at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and of course, investtalk.com. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. 
And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART. 